When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to your post-game Orange and Brown Talk podcast. The Cleveland Browns, 23-17 overtime winners against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Doug Maurice joined by Mary Kay Cabot to kick this off. Dan Lobby, Ashley Bastock, Irie Harris will be along later. Mary Kay, this was an interesting game. I, it was Jacoby Brissett's one of his not great performances of the year. I think it was one of his lower yards per attempt. Took four sacks in the game. But from a team standpoint and making plays when it mattered standpoint, we know that they did have a game where they dominated the Cincinnati Bengals this year. But I don't know. Could you make an argument from a team, hang in there, rally, defense played well, both sides of the ball? Was this the best game of the year for the Cleveland Browns? Yeah, I think so because of what this game meant and what this game represented and just Jacoby himself, what he's meant to this football team and, you know, what he has brought to the table for them. Uh, the fact that it was at home, they've had so many home losses, so many disappointing losses, uh, the way that Miles stepped up, the way that David did, Amari, it just had a lot of big moments in it. So I would say, yes, uh, with everything on the line, uh, the biggest stars on the team, stepped up and shined in the biggest moments. And, and I thought that was key. So we know that this is now a, a new era upon us with Deshaun Watson taking over as a starting quarterback. It sort of felt like, hey, like nobody wants the Jacoby Brissett era to end. Let's have it last an extra few minutes here in overtime. You know, we'll have this week to do this. There's time to do this. But as you evaluate Jacoby Brissett, Mary Kay, and I know there was a lot of discussion. You guys wrote, wrote a lot of stories about that, that this was the last game, presumably, you know, unless Deshaun gets hurt, who knows what the future holds, last scheduled game for him to be the starting quarterback. What did you think of this 11-game Jacoby Brissett experience? And how was he after the game today, knowing that for now at least this was it? You know what? I mean, he, he's been so great for this football team this season in so many ways, in so many ways. Uh, and Kevin said this after the game, and I truly believe this. There are so few great leaders in, in the NFL. Great. that That's a word reserved for the best of the best at that job. And Jacoby is one of the greatest leaders that I've seen in my career covering the Cleveland Browns. He has been phenomenal in that regard. And I truly believe this in my heart of hearts, that if the defense and special teams had just carried their weight in the first 10 games of the season, that Jacoby Brissett 
would have been handing over a legitimate playoff contender to Deshaun Watson instead of a team basically needing to run the table and win out the rest of the way. The, the special teams, they played well today, but up until today, those two other units were so bad uh, in so many games that it just, you know, it Jacoby didn't deserve that. He deserved what he got today, this complimentary football. If they had just done this, they would have six victories by now is, is what I think. They would have six victories with six to go, and they would be right in the hunt. So you are what your record is in the NFL, right? You can't run from that. That's how you are judged. They are a four and seven football team. But also, Mary Kay, and I think you do this as well as anybody in the league, there is a vibe around your team. There is a feeling around your team. There is a, a, a confidence or lack of confidence around your team. If we can separate the record for a moment, the team that is being handed over to Deshaun Watson, led by Kevin Stefanski, with Joe Woods as a defensive coordinator, with this receiving core, with this offensive line, with this running game, with this defense, with this special teams unit, how healthy is this team right now, do you think? Not, and not healthy in terms of injury, healthy in terms of a, being a competent, complementary football team that is getting ready to add what should be, in the long term, a franchise quarterback at the helm. Where are the Browns? Well, you know, when I, when I look at this football team right now, I see a football team that the one that was out there today – that would be a dangerous football team to play in the playoffs if they got to that point. It really would be. When I look at the final six games, every single game is winnable. That's why they really do have the hope that they have. Again, this is not like the Texans saying, hey, let's go out and win our final six games and try to make a playoff push. This is a team that was built to go to the Super Bowl right from the jump, right from the jump. And, you know, they they bungled it. They made some mistakes. They lost to the Jets. They lost to the Falcons. They couldn't stop the run. But this looks to me like a football team that can get its act together and at least keep things interesting for a while here. And in the event, in the right now pretty unlikely event that they do somehow get into the playoffs, I think this would be an incredibly dangerous team if Deshaun Watson is the Deshaun Watson that we remember from 2020. Players the last couple of weeks after losing to Miami, losing to Buffalo, were saying things like, hey, we still believe, we still believe, um, that kind of thing. How would you describe, again, the, the way the players talk, the vibe you got from them? There is There remains... Because it's one of those things to say, it's like, it's like, all right, great. You got blown out by the Dolphins and you're talking about how you're going to go beat Josh Allen. Great. It's good to say those things. But but now to do it after a win, to beat Tom Brady in overtime the way they did it, how would you describe the confidence of the individual players in a moment like this? Well, you know what? They really, truly believed all the way along. And you probably may have either seen or heard about like the way that David Njoku answered me uh, on the on the conference call last week when, you know, when I said, how do you feel about the fact that you guys really aren't handing over a legitimate playoff contender to Deshaun Watson? Do you feel like you, you know, do you owe him an apology sort of that you didn't really mind the store? And uh, he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, that's not how we feel. And they truly, truly believe that that was on a Monday. The next day I went to uh, the, the town hall feed the need event. And I talked to several other players there and they were like, oh no, 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 no. We really do believe that we can do this. 
And they have that belief because they know how good they are. They know that they have a bunch of pro bowlers on this football team. They know that if they put it all together, uh, that they can absolutely beat anyone, anyone. And, you know, all the other teams in, in the league right now, everybody's having issues, right? I mean, even the, uh, you know, the Bills, they're struggling. Josh Allen's arm isn't, you know, is kind of hurt. Von Miller is hurt. I mean, you look around and there, there is not really an unbeatable team except for, I mean, maybe the Chiefs, right? I mean, if, if they had to play the Chiefs tomorrow, that would be a really, really tough out. But everybody else that they have on the schedule the, for the rest of the way, they know they can beat. They know they can beat the Bengals. They've got tremendous confidence in their ability to do that. Uh, they believe they can beat the Ravens. That's going to be the probably the toughest one, perhaps. Uh, but they know that they can go out and do this as long as Deshaun Watson doesn't need too much of a ramp-up period. Now, he'll have like a preseason game in Houston against the 1-8-1 and one before today Texans. Um, so he will have an opportunity to, you know, work the kinks out a little bit in that game. But if he, uh, you know, if he plays the way everyone knows he can play, like Kevin Stefanski says, why not us? And that's how these guys truly feel. Two other topics I want to cover with you, Mary Kay, before we let you get back to writing. Joe Woods, a lot of pressure on Joe Woods. A lot of people coming around on this is not the right guy. Maybe this is the time for a change, like right now. 10-10 uh, at the half. Tampa scores early in the second half to go up 17-10. I think it's the last six Tampa possessions or punts. This offense, I mean, the Browns offense wasn't doing anything in the second half, but the defense kept alive the opportunity by forcing Tom Brady and the Bucks to punt on six straight possessions. And again, then they hold them in overtime. What did you think of the defensive performance today? And what did you think of all of it happening in a world where lots of people were saying Joe Wood shouldn't have a job anymore? Well, I have thought throughout the whole entire season that there has been a lack of continuity on this defense. You know, they they lost Anthony Walker. They lost Jacob Phillips. They Miles flipped his car. Jadavian was out for three or four games. Denzel was out for three games. Greg Newsom's on his second straight absence. Uh, JOK missed a bunch of games. They never had their full complement of defense. They never had it. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with why they struggled to stop the run. They thought Perry on Winfrey, I just wrote about him on, on yesterday, actually. Uh, you know, they thought he was going to contribute at defensive tackle. They thought Jordan Elliott was going to step up and have a really big season. None of those things happened. And so Joe Woods has kind of had to hold it together as best he possibly could. And I think that today was a sign that, that the defense is ready to play its best ball in the final six games of the season. And it will need to do just that if they want to accomplish these goals. Two things I thought uh, that were absolutely tremendous by the defense today. Uh, number one, Miles Garrett. He came up big when they needed him, and that's good because he's been talking a big game. He's been calling the defense out for not getting takeaways and things like that. So that was clutch. He came up with a lot of big plays. And then, um, then, MJ Emerson. MJ yeah. Emerson has been terrific. I mean, he shut down Mike Evans, a four-time Pro Bowler. He shut him down. I mean, they have themselves a find. When I talked to Terrell Buckley, uh, his Mississippi State 
cornerbacks coach. He was, he said, this is, this guy's a day one starter, first round pick. And they got him in the third round and look what he did to Mike Evans, but he's been two catches on nine targets for 31 yards. He could do nothing. He could do nothing. So that's going to serve them well. And I think, you know, that's, those are the kind of performances that you need to pull off what they're trying to do. Last thing. Was that the best play of David and Joku's NFL career? I think so. I, that to me seemed like uh, the best touchdown catch I've ever seen him get. And I'll tell you, I've always believed, and you have guys have been he- hearing me say this for years, I've always believed that that's the David Njoku. That's the real David Njoku. He's been through a lot of ups and downs in his career, but that's who he is. That's the kind of thing that he can do. And really, I think that he's going to shine when Deshaun gets back and can find him on those plays in the end zone. I felt like in the 2019 season, when under Freddie Kitchens, they were having a bunch of red zone problems that what the Browns did about 60% of the time in the red zone was throw a ball at the bottom of the goalpost to a tight end in the back of the end zone. And they were throwing it to all these tight ends. It was like, why are you throwing it to those guys and asking them to jump up like they're dunking a basketball? But it's like, well, that back line is open and you get a mismatch there. And then today was like, that's what they were trying to do every time because you get a guy with that kind of height, that kind of size, that kind of reach, that kind of athleticism, and you mm-hmm. get him on the back line or there's not going to be any help behind him. Right. Jacoby made that about as difficult of a catch mm-hmm. as you could make. But he yeah. also had to put it in a spot where the defense couldn't get it. But Mary Kay, I mean, there's there's a handful of guys in the league, yep. receiver, tight end, anybody, who could have made that catch in that moment. Yes. And David and Joko did he David and Joku did it. And that's, that could be a thing that you look back and say that like, there's like the before that catch, David and Joku. And then there's the, after that catch, David and Joku, and it's going to coincide with him getting ready to play with the best quarterback he's ever played with. So maybe it's going to be more about that, but this could be a line in the sand for this guy who has the huge contract and is going to be in Cleveland for a long time. Yes. And and I I really do think that what he's needed uh, most are targets, especially targets in the red zone and the end zone. He hasn't gotten them. I mean, Baker Mayfield really struggled with throwing to the tight ends in the end zone. He didn't have the touch. He didn't put it in the right place. I mean, Deshaun has tremendous, tremendous arm talent. He's going to be able to place the ball where only David Njoku can get it. And so I have long said, I've said this for several years, I think he's at least an eight touchdown a year tight end. Now, he might not be able to get that this year, and I've qualified that this year because of time is running out. But I do think that when he and Deshaun are together for a full season, if he's not catching eight touchdown passes, something's wrong. It's there. I think it's going to happen. She's Mary Kay Cabot. She's filling it up at cleveland.com slash Browns. We certainly would direct you guys there. It's going to be a great, interesting week of coverage of these Cleveland Browns as they they enter this absolute new era. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of the new Browns. And we want you guys to join us at cleveland.com and here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay, thanks as always for your time. Thank you. We'll be back right after this with Dan, Ashley, and Irie on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. All right, back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Guys, before we get into it, can I just do like a weird thing? Did anybody think that the Browns should have or were going to go for two and the win after scoring the touchdown at the end? Because Dan I thought said it. 
I thought they're going to go for it right here. And listen, they won. So like he, Kevin Stefanski was right. They kicked the extra point. But Dan, you thought at the moment? I, Irene can vouch for me. I think I, I said to Irene, I'd go for two here. Um, I liked the idea of not giving Tom Brady the ball back. And the Bucks ended up mangling the clock at the end and going to overtime. But um, I, I just felt like three and seven, you just had a, this great play in the red zone that you dialed up. And, and I thought Kevin explained it. Like if you, if you don't have a two point play you love, then you don't use it, right? You don't go for two there. But I, I certainly wouldn't have been surprised had they gone for two. And I kind of wanted them to do it, especially because we had two teams today, uh, Jacksonville and I think the Chargers both went for two to, to win games late. Yeah. And also a little bit of like you three and seven, Deshaun Watson's coming back next week. Let's go out with the bang. Not like who cares, but they are kind of in nothing to lose territory. Right. So, so Kevin did like Kevin, he did talk about it after the game. He considered it. It crossed his mind. He immediately ruled it out. What did he say? Yeah, he um, he said that he thought about it, and I don't have the quote up here, but he basically said that um, he didn't love the two-point play, that basically they, he, he just didn't like what they had. Maybe there was a matchup or something he didn't like or, or whatever play or, or menu of plays they had drawn up. He, he didn't like them. Okay. He, he did admit that he considered it. Okay. All right. So they, they found a way to get it done. Irie Harris, this has been a love affair since the start. You and Jacoby Brissett. Wouldn't it be funny if it like Irie was just like our Jacoby writer and it was like, oh, now that's out. See you later, Irie. Like Jacoby's done. It's like if he if he gets to start again, if Deshaun gets hurt, then you can come back. But Irie is more than Jacoby Brissett. But what did you think of Jacoby Brissett in this game, Irie? And what did you think of Jacoby Brissett's tenure for 11 games as the starting quarterback of the Cleveland Browns? The unofficial, that brother to Jacoby Brissett. Uh, but no, I mean, regarding his performance today, I don't think that this was something that was incredibly striking. I mean, I believe he threw for 210, and then, then he got, uh, you know, a touchdown and, and whatnot. But, I mean, he played in, – in, in each game, Brissett has played as good as we expect him to be. While they give credit to him being able to do well, credit to, you know, unveiling things that we haven't seen prior in, in performances in his career, or even giving credit to Stefanski's – Offensive genius at schemes. Uh, Brissett was, was very well today, but I mean, I think what was always talked about was somewhat foreshadowed and behind the scenes by his play was just as his leadership. Uh, I'm, I think that it was really his, his leadership that came out and really played big within the win. I think that's something, I mean, as much as, this, and I know we'll get some later, as much as Deshaun Watson was coming, is going to be the QB1 is a far better quarterback than Jacoby Brissett, a far more paid quarterback compared to Jacoby Brissett. There are a couple of things within the leadership area that I think Watson can watch and be able to take from Brissett because we just see how this team can just come to, to Jacoby like as if he's a passer in a sense. And I don't mean for it to be too much, but whenever they spoke, he listened. And there's been endless praise throughout, you know, throughout this season when it came to, to Brissett. So I think that was really the big, the big part of his performance in this win. Ashley, they going to miss this dude? Like, like, are the players like it? Uh, there's, are they a little sad to yeah. know that? I mean, they're excited, but also like it's not going to be Jacoby's show anymore. Yeah, I mean, I definitely like the word Joel Batonio used, which I think is perfect. Is like kind of bittersweet, right? Like, obviously, I think Deshaun Watson is the the quarterback of the future. These guys have been waiting for him to be able to come back and a chance to, I think, see what this all is really going to look like. But 
there is this sense that, number one, on the field, these guys, we've heard from them time and time again, think that Jacoby did more than what was expected of him in a lot of ways. And and maybe not necessarily more than what was expected of him in the building or what they thought he could do, but more than certainly like the outside world expected a guy whose reputation throughout his career has been that of game manager to be able to do. And, and we saw some of those talk about going out with a bang, some of those flashy plays from him today, um, especially to, to win the game basically. Um, but I do think there is this balance that we heard from multiple guys today, basically every guy I talked to in that locker room that, Hey, like, yeah, we're really excited that Deshaun Watson is coming back, but there is this appreciation for Jacoby Brissett because of those things he did. And I think even more so like the way he handled this really weird role, the way he worked, you know, was one of the hardest workers in that locker room. He really is, I think a pros pro. Um, He's funny. He's easy to get along with. He talks to everybody. You know, he's that guy who, you know, sometimes NFL locker rooms can be clicky, but he'll sit down and have lunch with the linemen or the defensive guys. He's joking around with JOK or Miles Garrett, where his locker is like, I think he really did make an effort on this team to do those intangible things as well. And, and the end result is I think all these guys are really happy. He's, he's here and, and maybe a little bit sad that this time with him as a, a scheduled starter is ending. All right. I got an idea. You guys ready for this next week takes the pressure off everybody. When the Browns, the Browns come out and they start with the ball. If they win the toss, they take the ball. If the Texans win the toss, they'll defer the Browns start off. Jacoby Brissett takes the field as the starting quarterback. They run a quarterback sneak, and then Jacoby takes the ball and runs off the field as Deshaun runs on and hands him the ball. And that is the ceremonial passing of the football. And, like, it it serves everybody. Well, how emotional would that be? Everybody in Cleveland would be crying, right? I mean, it's so good. Please tell Kevin Stefanski I suggested it. So, Dan, I do think there's a little bit of a dichotomy here of, in the end, four and seven for the Browns in this stretch, I think is worse than people expected. But Jacoby Brissett played better than people expected. Does that not match up? What does that tell us when we think about these 11 games that they kind of got what they wanted and more from the guy behind center? I, I think it tells us that there were just issues deeper than the quarterback position. You know, the defense struggled. Um, you know, we, we all remember the Jets game, uh, how that ended. Uh, we remember the Falcons game, how the defense just got absolutely gashed on the ground. Um, you know, Jacoby had his had his moments. He, he had his times where he made mistakes and, and had his times where, uh, you know, it was on him. Some interceptions here and there where it's like, you know, where he maybe had a chance to lead a game-winning drive or a game-tying drive, something like that. But the Browns aren't four and seven because of Jacoby Brissett. They're four and seven because their defense let them down, really, for the most part, and their special teams let them down. If if those two things don't happen, we might be talking about a five or six win team at, at this point. So Jacoby did exactly what they needed him to do, and I think the most important thing, and I think Ashley touched on a number of these things, is. He brought maturity to the position when you had just dealt with Baker Mayfield and the fallout of all of that. And you were bringing in a quarterback who had 20 some civil lawsuits against him. Um, And you were taking on an absolute PR nightmare at best in bringing in Deshaun Watson. And Jacoby Brissett ended up being kind of this stabilizing, mature figure for this team. And I think that's 
Like if, I, if I've got to choose the way I'm going to remember Jacoby Brissett, I think that's the way I'm going to remember him. They just needed maturity and stability at that position to kind of get them to this point where they could hand things off to Deshaun Watson. So I do like you guys know him. He seems like a great guy. I, I was somebody, a national NFL person the other day was saying like, they think he he's better than like eight or 10 other starters in this league. I, I do think there's a point where like, he's so nice and he's so professional. I think you could, he's like a very specific kind of quarterback to me. And that today he sort of did lead a drive at the end of the game to win it. It also took sort of like a miracle fourth down play where a guy climbed a ladder and made a one handed catch on kind of a throw that was too high. But, you know, they had whatever it was, five or six empty possessions in the second half when they could have easily, like, done something there to pull away. I do think he's, like, a a very specific kind of thing, but, like, very competent. I think, like, long-term, like, if anyone's going to come out next year and, like, write a big check for Jacoby Brissett, like, to be, we're going to win with this guy as our starting quarterback, I'm I'm not sure I'd go down that road. But I think, like, for doing what he did, whoo, right, great job by Jacoby Brissett. So... Now we move into this new era, and we do it off this victory. I thought the last game the Browns won at home at night against the Bengals when there was no Jamar Chase, when they all they had like a thing against Joe Burrow. The Bengals lost their best corner in the middle of that game. I thought that win meant nothing. I thought it was like it's a matchup. Sometimes everybody wins, but I did not think there was anything about momentum or anything's fixed, and I think that was right. I don't know. Who thinks this win is a propulsive win? Who thinks this win is, all right, they're getting Deshaun back no matter what, and certainly four and seven is better than three and eight. But was there, do you guys, who thinks there was a vibe, a confidence, a lift, the way they played complimentary football? Who thinks this win has a chance to to set the Browns on the right track? I think it might. Um like there, there was one play that I keep thinking about, right? And number one, I don't want to get like too into the weeds of like, oh, the Bucks looked, you know, the Bucks are this amazing team that they stopped because like they're they're not really like it's Tom Brady, it's still Tom Brady, but they're they were five and five, you know, in a bad division, leading a bad division right now. Um, but I I think about this one play in the second quarter where I forget what down it was. Um, but there was about 10.08 left where JOK had that big run stop. It was like a third down yep. run stop that ended the drive. And I'm like, I don't know that this team would have been capable of making that play a couple weeks ago. Like they were just so bad. And they didn't let the Bucks get going on the ground today, which they did against the Seahawks. Now, I don't know if that's something that it was because the Browns were doing or because like the Bucks just aren't a very good team. So couldn't figure out how to replicate that performance that they did against the Seahawks two weeks ago when they had 160 yards on the ground. But they did hold, hold them to fewer than 100 yards in this game. So I think that Jadavian Clowney kind of talked about this after the fact that like he feels like things are maybe coming together for this defense a little bit. I do think it's encouraging. Like you got the guys up front going. You had some nice plays from, you know, Martin Emerson in particular in the secondary with the passes defended today. You got you got a batted ball up front from Alex Wright. Like I do kind of feel like there were glimpses of that. But I don't know if a definitive answer is possible because I do think you kind of have to like see what they look like with Deshaun Watson. I don't know if it's going to be the ultimate game changer of the season. I'm, I'm still kind of in the camp of like, Hey, like they're, they're still alive right now. So that's something, but I think the most important thing in these last six games for me is the Browns went all in on Deshaun Watson for better and for worse. And you now have to figure out what this guy needs to like 
function here and win you games because you're paying him $230 million and are going through all this controversy with him. Um, but I do think, you know, it is a possibility, like, look who they play next. They play Houston next. They play uh, the the Saints on Christmas Eve. They play the Bengals. Like, they, they do have some easy games or games where they match up really well in the case of the Bengals um, coming up here that they have a chance at least to win. So it, it could be something that, that starts here. More of a building block, Irie, or more of a standalone, nice, close win on a Sunday? It is only something to build on, and this is why. And this is the difference from their last win when they beat the Bengals. And yes, you, you, you're right regarding this not meaning much momentum. The next couple of games versus Miami versus Buffalo. These are the only couple of reasons why I say this is something to build upon. Because of the switch at quarterback and because up here mentally, you see, as much as we talk about what they do in the field, we only dive a little bit, I think, into the mental aspect of the game. As we all know, when it comes to football, 80% uh, mental, 20% physical. How many players get to say that they were on, on a team that beat Tom Brady? Tom Brady has been balling all my life, literally. And so I think just, just within that, knowing that you're playing a team, regardless of the fact that they were not in Super Bowl form, as we see, there was still a sturdy enough squad that you had to be in overtime. But just to think, wow, we beat Tom Brady, that does quite a bit to, you know, to the mental. And along with going with what their schedule is right now, even if Watson is not playing at like the top, like the top five caliber quarterback that we know that we knew him to be throughout 2020 on a, you know, degrading Houston, Texas franchise, uh, is still enough within the rhythm for some of the other guys that that can help provide any void needed. Uh, when I mean, we spoke right, right after the game regarding Nick Chubb. I mean, Nick Chubb is now. I mean, the team is now four and zero when running the ball with them twenty or more times. I do. I expect them to give him the ball twenty or more times coming up in the next couple of games. Not entirely, but because of the recent rhythm. Within this game, this is something to build upon, and I think the, I mean, the best team that they're going to be matching up against is the Baltimore Ravens. I do believe that. I mean, we all know that they're capable of beating Houston and beating Cincinnati again, a team that, as you say, they always beat. You know, Washington, especially New Orleans at home. But it's all about in the sense of them not beating themselves, because that's what happened early on in the season. You know, versus teams that we didn't think would be good enough to make the playoffs whether it was the Falcons or even the Jets. Well, originally the Jets. Now they're coming out and they're trying to do something. But this is just something in a sense to build on just from the mental aspect. I think that we'll be able to see that the next couple of weeks before their next home game here uh, versus, versus Baltimore. So, Dan, there's like a job security discussion around Joe Woods with with a lot of people, our own Terry Pluto included, um, thinking that this guy, maybe his his time as defensive coordinator had run its course. You know, that is one discussion, but the bigger discussion is, is this defense ready to play well consistently? Do you, do you think it is? Mary Kay earlier in the podcast was talking about they have had a lot of injuries, a lot of guys in and out. That certainly has an effect on, on a team. But as you said, Dan, the issue had been not Jacoby Brissett in the first 11 games. It was letdowns on defense and special teams. Do you think this is a, a jumping off point for the defense specifically? And should we expect good defensive performances the last six games of the year? I think it should give you some hope, but I don't think we should read too much into this performance because I know, like, I know it's Tom Brady and I, I know that, you know, we have to be careful to think about this Bucks team 
as the 2022 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This isn't the 2020 Bucs. This isn't the 2021 Bucs who were were really good football teams. This is a 500-ish football team that hasn't scored a lot of points. And they they didn't get the run game going today. You know, they didn't have uh, Leonard Fournette. I I know he hasn't been kind of their bell cow, but um, he, he is important to their run game. You know, they lost Tristan Wirfs to a, a pretty brutal injury, it looks like. I think they can build on this. And, and look, they get a game next week against Houston that should be no problem. Like, if they struggle against Houston, that's a little concerning. But then you've got Cincinnati and Baltimore. So these next three games are going to tell us everything about this team. I, I'm not ready to call this a jumping off point. They did what they needed to do against a Tampa offense that has just sort of been inconsistent and didn't take advantage of some opportunities. And to the Browns' credit, a guy like MJ Emerson went up against went went up against. Um, oh my God! How am I Mike Evans? Say? Yes, went up against Mike Evans and matched up really well with him. Like he got into a physical battle with him and played really well. But we just need to see it. We just need to see. We need to make sure Baltimore is not going to come in here and just run all over this team. And that Cincinnati's not going to wake up and realize, like, oh, we have Joe Mixon and he's really good. We should try running with Joe Mixon a little bit instead of just leaving Miles Garrett on an island. So I'm not ready to call it a jumping off point, but it was a positive step for sure. A couple weird little things. When Todd Bowles punted from the Browns like 43 on fourth and two. I think it was. Was anyone screaming? The guys on TV were like, oh, he believes in his defense. Oh, he's playing. Like, he turned down a 55-yard field goal and did not go for it. I felt like it was a head coaching move from, like, 15 years ago. Was everyone in the press block? And then and then Stefanski, like, 10 minutes later, had, like, a fourth and seven in the same spot and went for it. Did everyone think, like, what is Todd Bowles doing? Or did everyone think that was a logical time to punt? I, I didn't catch that in real time. That was one of those moments where I think I had my head in, in my computer. But yeah, that was that was a weird choice. Like, I hate punting from that territory, especially when you have, again, no, this isn't 2007 Tom Brady or 2020 Tom Brady or anything. But still, you got Tom Brady and a bunch of really good receivers. I'd, I'd go for it there. It was like a chance for a knockout punch, right? I mean, they're up seven there, and they, they make it a two-score game, and they punt it away, and the ball goes in the end zone. It's like they gained 23 yards of field position. I thought it was nuts. And again, I'm watching at home, and the guys on TV are like, he believes in his defense. And I was like, do you guys follow football in 2022? This is an insane decision that he is making. All right, the second thing, Ashley. I think if Kevin Stefanski believed in Cade York, he would have kicked a field goal uh, at the end about two plays earlier than Nick Chubb scored. I don't know what happened on that Cade York shank, but it was about the shankiest shank of a shank I ever shanked. Uh, uh, like, uh, where are we with our young uh, Super Bowl MVP who has had kind of a wacky year? I don't know. You know, I it is hard because I do wonder if, and I, I wasn't in Kevin Stefanski's presser today because I was in the locker room, so I'm not sure if he got asked about it um i can maybe pull up the transcript here really did quick, he, anyone there who's in there did they get asked about it who was in with stefanski were you i read or dan were you in with stefanski unfortunately we were all in the locker room <laughs> yeah, um, we're all being no, reporters talking to guys in the locker it, room all right sorry it, it does not look like he got asked about it when i just did a quick search of the transcript um 
but, did you search for shank? No, did you put did shank not. in so the search here's, page? Here's or? my thing with Kate York. And I think I, by nature of writing that big takeout on him, um, I, I really looked at his, you know, life leading up to this point. And his first year at LSU, I brought this up before. It seems very similar to what this is, where at LSU, I think it even went a little further, where people were questioning, like, I don't know, do we have the guy? And Doug, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't he, like, miss a field goal attempt in the national championship game even, or an extra point? Oh, maybe, yeah. I think he maybe even missed a kick in the national championship game that they won. Um, And I think that everyone has kind of been fairly even keeled about him, including Cade York a little bit. Didn't get a chance to talk to him today. Um, But I, I think this is kind of just life with a rookie kicker. And like, he's made some really great kicks this year. He made like another 50 plus yarder today. And then Shanks once wide left going towards the dog pound end of the stadium that was within 40 yards. So I, I just think this is a rookie kicker who is 21 years old, who has been doing this for only six years, really, um, getting used to kicking in the NFL. So, like, if Kevin Stefanski was thinking about that, and again, we don't know because we weren't in there to ask him about it, um, I, I don't know that he was. But, like, I would kind of – I would understand if he – just did not want to put that pressure on a rookie kicker and just said, you know, I have this running back who, you know, fans screaming, yeah, like, Hey, you have one of the best running backs in football. Why don't you use him more? Like, I I understand you kind of wanting to lean on your veteran offensive guys here and go for the touchdown and, and be aggressive like that. Um, But yeah, that miss was, was really unfortunate today because it didn't look like it was blocked or anything. It just looked like it was a bad kick. I'll need to rewatch the game, but it just looked like, it was a bad kick. And I think that's part of having a rookie kicker who needs to get used to, to all of this pressure in the environment and things like that. All right. We're going to do math in the last segment. There's nothing that gets people to listen to a podcast, like a promise of math. We'll do it next on the orange Brown talk podcast. All right. We're back to wrap up this Browns victory. The last in the pre Deshaun Watson era. So I'm going to give you guys a math problem now and then you're going to have time to work and think about it. You can doodle and we'll talk about other things and I'll get your answers before we leave. What percent better will the Browns offense be with Deshaun Watson compared to Jacoby Brissett? So that is the math question that we will end this podcast with because this was a very good win for the Browns. They also, as always, and they showed this stat on the broadcast, this was the sixth time that the Browns scored a touchdown on their first drive of the game, and it is the first game they have won after doing so. It is like a running joke of the Kevin Stefanski era now of they have a script, they come out, they look great, and then they just stop playing offense after that. And they did that again. On this Sunday, they scored a touchdown, they scored a field goal on their second drive, then they went punt, missed field goal, the last drive of the first half that ends with the Hail Mary, then punt, 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 loss on downs when Amari Cooper drops the wide open fourth down play, punt, then the final tying touchdown. They fight, That's their only point to the second half is their last drive after they have one, two, three, four, five empty drives in the second half. Dan, how often today during the course of this did you watch the Browns offense and think, man, they'd be a lot better with Deshaun Watson? Like, did you have, as they're going punt, 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 punt in the second half, do you just constantly think that? Or do you think 
man, I don't know. This offensive line needs to play better. Boy, they could use a second receiver. Stefanski, what's he doing? Like, what did you think as the offense was doing nothing in the second half today? I, I don't know if I directly thought that today, but I know throughout the season I've had moments where I've I've thought to myself, in my most optimistic moments, I'm like, how will this offense not score 50 points a game with Deshaun Watson at quarterback? Like, there there are just... You know, for all the as great as Jacoby Brissett has been and, and as, as well as he's played, there was this fixation on Amari Cooper from him and David Njoku, and I get it. You know, he's not a guy that sits in the pocket and goes through his reasons. I just, I think what Deshaun Watson brings to the table with his ability to run, but throw on the run and, and just make throws, get through progressions quickly that, that Jacoby Brissett just doesn't. I think we'll do the percentages later and I'm going to try and not go too high with my percentage. I think but we'll, we'll see. Um, I, I think that a lot of those empty drives turn into, if nothing else, field goals, uh, but probably you get some touchdowns there too. And by the way, Kevin Stefanski probably goes for two if Sean Watson's his quarterback in that situation. Hmm. So actually, again, they scored, they scored 10 points in their first two drives Sunday and then they don't score again until their last drive of regulation. As you're watching the offense on Sunday, are are you thinking like Stefanski, like, what are you doing? Why can't you figure any of this out? What was your vibe as this game was unfolding? Because it's certainly, it. I mean, for a while it was like, well, they're going to blow it again. Like they went out to a lead. Now it's tied. Now Tampa's going to come out in the second half and that's going to be it. They're going to lose 24 to 10. That certainly felt like it was on the table. Did it not? Yeah, I mean, when the Bucks went up 17 to 10 in the third quarter, in my head, I was kind of like, well, this is it. Like, I, I genuinely, I did not expect them to be able to come back. Um, once they got the David Njoku touchdown, which obviously came with 32 seconds left in regulation, I did feel like the momentum had swung, but we really hadn't seen from this team this ability to kind of manufacture points like at a high clip like that to mount a comeback. Like we really haven't seen that in any meaningful way before today. So yeah, I mean, I was kind of preparing for it to be a loss, but like what I was writing was, wasn't really dependent on the outcome of the game. Cause it was all about how this, this next era is kind of here and what's their identity going to be now. Because again, I feel like so much of their identity and they, you know, wouldn't admit this, but I think for, as an outside observer, it's fair to say that it's felt like this offense's identity was waiting for Deshaun Watson to come back. And I think we've seen them run plays sometimes where it's like, oh, gee, that would look great if Deshaun Watson was out there, but too bad he's not. And why are we running this right now? Um, and, and I think that now that that time is here, it's time to figure out what this identity is with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, up until this point, like I said, I felt like a lot of waiting for Deshaun and a not a team that wasn't really able to respond to adversity in the sense that they, they weren't playing complimentary football to allow them to dig themselves out of holes. And, and I do like the Bucks had a remarkably ineffective drive where they got it back with like two minutes and 35 seconds left. I think they only used 15 seconds off the clock and they went for a total of minus 10 yards and then punted. And the result is Irie that the Browns take over. Oh, so the Browns are down seven. They need a, a game tying touchdown drive. Oh, the game time. Oh my gosh. You get, but they get it in plus territory. And the result Irie is that they do not have to come out throwing 
to win the game on their final touchdown drive, which is where I think they've gotten in trouble uh, in some games earlier in the year where Jacoby Brissett threw some interceptions on, on last-minute drives. They come out, and I think it is a lesson learned for Kevin Stefanski, and it's like, yes, you did this because you were in plus territory, but when you have two minutes and a couple timeouts, you can do it from your own 20 as well. They come out, I read, and they run the ball with Nick Chubb, and they get six yards and then 28 yards, and now they're in business, and that's what allowed them to come back and tie this game because they did not come out on first down and have Jacoby Brissett stand back there, survey the field, hold the ball, and get sacked. And I hope I thought that was an instructive moment for Kevin Stefanski of how you can handle late game situations, but he was able to do it because they were on the other side of the 50. Yeah, when it came to that, I mean, first off, not just the fact that they had the advantage within position because they were already halfway across the field, but it's the it's the fact that within the play calling, they decided not to start up passing. They they decided to use the clock to their advantage. Hopefully, be hopefully be, being the last with the ball in regulation and run the ball. There have been many a times, many a times, regardless of, of positioning on the field, whether it's the last drive of the game, whether it's the beginning of the beginning of the third, where they will still look forward and shift and establish the pass game before the run game. I mean, it, it, it almost becomes frustrating when you're, they're not properly used. Well, actually, no, it does become frustrating when they're not properly using both Chubb and Hunt. They're remote. They're within multiple wins. They have four wins, two of their wins off top, just like I've mentioned before, versus the Steelers and definitely versus the Bengals was the ground game, the biggest impact with them winning. When it came to Jacoby, there was a point I remember where he was 15 for 23 in the game. Uh, now, 15 for 23, it's not it's not the worst. But then it, said, it was like, wait a minute. Why does Rashad White, I believe it was, uh, from, from the other team, have 10 rushing attempts while Hunt and Chubb barely have double digits combined? They had to resort back to the run game. And there was no better time to do that than on the, on the last drive of the of regulation to where they allowed Chubb to go out and show why he's the best back in the league. And then it went on from there with that. And Dan, I will say, so they get this 28-yard run from Chubb, and it's like, ah, oh, they're in business. First and 10 at the 12, one-yard run for Chubb. Then Jacoby tries a little short pass over the middle of Kareem Hunt if Tampa guy breaks on the ball and deflects it. Then they run a screen for Njoku, which is a play they ran earlier in the game. Levante David sniffs it out from the jump. And it goes nowhere. And now all of a sudden you're fourth down. And if that pass to the end zone tips off David and Joku's hand, and it's like, oh, it was too high. Dan, we'd be sitting here talking about how Kevin Stefanski got to the 12-yard line and had four shots and, like, came up with four awful play calls that did nothing. Like, man, like, David and Joku, I think, bailed out Kevin Stefanski here because that's an amazing individual play. And in the NFL, that is how you win games sometimes. But I didn't think Kevin Stefanski covered himself in glory with the way he tried to go about trying to get this game tied at the end. No, I, I agree. And there was another series, too, that I remember where he I, I kind of came away feeling like, what are they doing? They like ran two plays and then they just took a deep shot and punted. Um, but on that play, uh, in that series, I was kind of in the same boat. Like, what exactly are they trying to do here to get into the end zone and score? And I think that Joku catch. I'm kind of multitasking a little, and I'm putting up a story about it now. As I'm thinking about it, if he doesn't make that catch, like you said, there's the Kevin Stefanski red zone stuff again. The Browns are three and seven and done, like done, done. Um, three and eight. Three, three and eight. eight. Yes, I'm sorry. Three and eight. And yep. Done, done. 
like, let's say in, in this hypothetical world, Deshaun Watson comes back and the Browns somehow make the playoffs. We're going to look back at that David and Joku catch and be like, that saved, that saved all this, that set all this up. That's how incredible that catch was. And, and you're right. If he doesn't make that catch, and it was funny because Jacoby Brissett even admitted it after the game that it wasn't even a play he liked. They were going over the game plan Saturday night, and he didn't he didn't like that red zone play. Um, but they, you know, Kevin and, and the coaching staff kind of talked him into what they were seeing with, with putting that on the menu. He, David and Joku saved a lot of people and potentially saved the Browns season with that catch. Which I do think is like that's what you're kind of expecting Deshaun Watson to do because players like that, great individual players, save you from bad play calls, save you from missed blocks, save you from goofy things that, you know, save you from great coverage that the opponent out schemes you in the moment and it doesn't matter. And I do think at times this year, the Browns haven't gotten enough of that. They've seen other teams kind of get that sometimes. But if they, if that's off his fingertips, Dan, we're talking about how they didn't score in the final 47 minutes of the game. After taking a 10 nothing lead, they lose 17 to 10. And we are in a world of save us, Deshaun, Ashley, right? With this whole thing, and you've been very strong on this the whole way, thinking they feel like this whole 11-game stretch is waiting for Deshaun. But it really would have been save us, Deshaun, if we would have said the last 47 minutes of the Jacoby Brissett era were scoreless. Couldn't even, they couldn't even score. They couldn't even score. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is it is a and maybe it's just vibes on, in a locker room, which leads to vibes on a podcast. Right. Maybe we'll I mean, again, three and eight, four and seven. It's mathematical stuff at the very, very back edge of the playoff race. But man, just from a mood standpoint, that was a mood changer, man. Woo! That is like a, that's as big of a mood changer. I don't I was getting ready to think about uh, and even like the idea that once they get in overtime, it's like, ah, oh, this is going to be the best Browns tie. Right. Wasn't the first. What was the t- damn? What was the Pittsburgh tie? Was it Miles' first game? It was, or the first game of the shoot? No, it was 2018. It was the first game of 2018. And the year, so okay. it was the year Hugh got fired. But yeah, they opened that season with a 21 21 tie. And like Miles made a couple huge plays yes. to like preserve the tie. And I was like, that is the greatest tie I have ever seen. <laughs> and today I was going to be like, this is the greatest tie I have seen since that tie. I had it all arranged in my head. But even that great tie would have been made possible by this Njoku catch. Like mood matters, Ashley, right? Mood matters. Like one play by one dude. And at the very least, the entire mood of this franchise and this fan base for the next week is going to be very different as a result. Oh yeah. I mean, I think I'm, I'm very big on like the intangible things in this league and guys talk about it all the time. Like it is a momentum league, but you know, for as great as analytics and advanced stats are like, there is still, I think very much a human element to things. And if you had Deshaun Watson coming back and these guys had just lost three in a row um, and seven of their last eight, which is what it would have been if they lost today, that's a totally different mood. And I think at that point is for as much as these guys would do some, you know, coach speak or player speak to us and be like, oh, we're focused on the next next game. Like, you know, you're out of it. Like at that point, if you've only got three wins through 11 games, like the the hope of, you know, making the, the playoffs or whatever, I think is still obviously small. Like they're three behind in the division race or whatever. And we know a bunch of wild card stuff hasn't really 
fall in their way, especially over the Browns bye week. But I do think that mood matters into how you go into Houston and and to how you kind of finish out the season and to still, even if you do get mathematically eliminated from playoff possibility, like just to what I was talking about earlier, to be able to figure out what this is going to look like and get some meaningful work done over these last six games. So I do think the mood matters. It matters that it's a different mood than it would have been had they lost. And if you want to talk about this game possibly being a jumping off point, like that's where you maybe can have a little bit of hope, I think, that they might be able to build on something here. Listen, you know, the the Vikings beat the Bills because Justin Jefferson made like a ridiculous individual play. Again, this is how the league works. And so, and this is why Andrew Barry ponied up the dough for a tight end who, from a production standpoint, probably did not deserve that much money at this point in his career. But I think when you look around and you say, well, who in our locker room is just the kind of player who can change a game? Well, we got Miles Garrett. Well, we got Nick Chubb. But the running back thing maybe is a little bit different. Like, who else do we have? And maybe it's this guy. And I do think, you know, that was a – you could see the dollar signs, right? You could slap like five or six dollar signs right on that football as it's sticking to his one hand nine and a half feet in the air and say, okay, that might be worth it right there because it may have changed the mood, the approach – coming into the most transitional phase of of the Browns. And like, I don't, I don't know how long, I don't know. Like you thought it was Baker Mayfield. You thought it was Tim couch. Like this might be, this is, this might be the most important change since they came back as a franchise and you're going into it upbeat instead of going into it dragon. And that's because one guy made a play and now you're going to get a quarterback that you think can make plays. Let's do math. I We've seen the Browns offense with Jacoby Brissett. What percent better do you expect it to be? And let's keep it to the rest of this season. We don't have to speculate, well, then they have a whole offseason, whatever, like right now. And maybe not even like right against Texas because against Houston because he's going to be a little rusty. But like generally these six games, the offense will be what percent better with Deshaun Watson? I feel like I'm going to say a, a number that I think is fine. And then you guys, guys are going to be like, wait, what? What are you talking about? What? No, that's why I made you go first. Yeah, to hang you out to dry, for sure. Okay. You're a new guy. Yeah, hey, put it that's out very, there. That's very sweet out, of you. Climb out on this limb, my friend, all by yourself. And now my number will be whatever you say. I'm just going to say I agree with you, whatever it is. Oh, so man. do it with that confidence. That's, that's very generous of you. All right, let's make this a spiritual experience. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 15% uh, better. Within the sense of as much as we've spoken regarding Watson and him being the same quarterback or not the same quarterback, as Dan said earlier, there's there's been so many so much more deeper issues when it comes to this unit, the culture, the mentality that I don't expect for it to be a hundred percent change with Watson at QB one and not per se. It all lines regarding their center position off top. The O-line was not that good today. They were not good. Multiple times. Jacoby should, should have been sacked more times than, than he was today. I don't remember exactly off top. It was probably maybe three or four times in total. But the O-line was not as strong or as sturdy as they were earlier in the season. And we see with Ethan now as visible. So that's one. Or two, the play calling. There's going to be questions regarding if Stefanski is still going to go for the deep, uh, you know, 
the deep pass to Amari Cooper on third downs just like he would with Jacoby. Is there going to be that much trust? And I know this will build on eventually during the season, but just as you said within the last six games, will there be enough trust to where he will, you know, trust Watson to go deep on certain plays, certain scenarios? I'm also looking forward to how they change up uh, plays during certain situational plays too. Do as we mentioned earlier, if it's if it's for two, do they go for what? Do they go for two at Watson as we said about earlier? Do they still run within within with Nick Chubb on multiple plays? Do they have a balance when it comes to Watson coming in working off the rust along with the rest of the offensive weapons? Uh, it's still something that's going to be quite a process and quite a a risk at that. But I'm just going to keep it at 15 percent for right now. All right, Irie Harris, 15%. I completely agree. Ashley Bastock, I'm just going to completely disagree with whatever you say. I'll just oh, open great. that off the bat. What else you would know, we Doug, do? I'm going to say, I'm going to tell you, I got a very nice message from your wife yesterday about one of my stories, and you should be as nice to me as she is. No, but listen, do you know why? It's because, because I was saying Katie nice things awesome. in my house about it. No, see, see, I, I have to keep up this harsh shell. It's my public persona, right? It's what the people want. I'm a big old jerk. But then around the house, so I say, true. Ashley just came up with this Ohio State-Michigan story on her own. She Nobody asked her to do it. She just did it. She did the interview. She wrote it immediately. She, she messaged me about it. She just took care of business. And then my wife, behind my back, <laughs> now, I'm going to go yell at my wife now. How dare you say ni- nice things, Ashley? I don't want to. And Ashley brings it up for the public record. Anyways, percentage. Look, I'm going to be honest with you, Doug. I was, I hated math. I took the easiest yep. math class that John Carroll University had to offer. Um, we actually learned in that math class how they designed postal and trash picking up routes. That was what I learned in my college. Oh, that class. sounds interesting. I don't remember. That's an off-season pod, I think. That's an off-season pod, Dan. Write that down. So I'm going to say I'm also going to give a conservative number and maybe be slightly less conservative than Irene and say it's going to look like 25% better. 25%. I'm not, I don't think it's going to be this huge jump that people expected or expect for multiple reasons. Like, I think Deshaun Watson's going to make some plays, but he hasn't played in two years. And the only time we've seen him play in a game environment for like four plays in Jacksonville or whatever, it was a disaster. So, and like, he didn't have any of his guys around him. So it's just hard without knowing what this looks like and everything like that. But I think, I think we'll see a slight uptick just given his ability as a quarterback. Okay. 15 for Irie, 25 for Ashley. Dan, do math. (laughs) Okay, so it being this season only complicates it a little because there's a couple things that give me pause. It's what Ashley mentioned about him having not played in two years. And it's this idea that this team hasn't practiced together a lot. Some of those scramble drills are going to look a little different. They're going to look a little funky. But they did do a lot of that in the spring and the summer. I've got to say, I am really bullish on what this offense can look like with Deshaun Watson. And I think it's like, Kevin, this is it. That you you got to show that you can make this work because I think this offense can be 50% better with Deshaun Watson. I think he unlocks so much. And again, Jacoby was better than I ever could have expected him to be. And he had a career year. But Jacoby also fixated a lot on Amari, fixated a lot on Njoku. Like he's not a guy that sits and goes through a ton of progressions and you know he's a backup quarterback. Deshaun unlocks so much of what you can do. And I mean, Wyatt Teller kind of said it today. Like you put eight men in the box, good luck. 
Like you, you can't do that. So what are you going to do when the Browns run this read option stuff with Nick Chubb and Deshaun Watson keeps it, you know, you set up one-on-one matchups with Chubb and you get Joku in the screen game and you get like, I think he unlocks this offense in ways that like we haven't even seen yet. Is it going to happen this year? Maybe that's where I'm too high and that I, I saying 50% in the parameters of this season. But I think if he hits by the end of this season, we might be looking at this thing and saying, whoa, that this is, this is really good. I mean, this guy is a, some people would just outright say a top five quarterback. But he's a he's at worst like a fringe top five. Like he's in the discussion for top five quarterback if he's the player he was two years ago. All right. That's our math segment on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan, remind me, I would like to participate in a podcast discussion at some point again about why a teller and how his PFF run blocking grade is 80 and his pass blocking grade is 65 because <laughs> he got smoked again on a pass rush today where a dude sacked Jacoby Brissett. And it's just like, I shake my head sometimes about like that guy's getting that much money at guard. And like, I don't trust him in pass protection, but anyway, that's <laughs> not what this is about right now. You know what? No, wait, let's just do 40 minutes right now on why a teller as a pass protector. Do you guys want to do that? Or would you rather go home and live your lives? All right. No <laughs> one wants to do it. We'll save it for another time. Deshaun Watson, the era begins now. Jacoby Brissett uh, certainly represented the franchise very well and to have a professional uh, in the locker room who gets along with everybody, does his job with a smile on his face and was pretty darn efficient, if not spectacular, most of the time is, again, I think in context, certainly appreciated by the Cleveland Brown fan base and by the organization. So he will be remembered fondly. Whatever is next for him, uh, I think he will be remembered fondly in this odd little 11 game window between Baker Mayfield and Deshaun Watson in the end uh, they got I think the right guy for the job even if the record isn't what the Browns would have hoped thanks you guys for listening to the Orchard Brown Talk podcast on behalf of Mary Kay Cabot Irie Harris Ashley Bastock and Dan Lobby I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the Orange Brown Talk podcast <laughs> <laughs>